On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about some business moves that have happened in the last number of days and how they are going to affect you. Telecom takeovers and grocery store takeovers and Walmart store closures. All this stuff happening all at once. How is this going to affect your wallet? We're also going to talk about probably the most famous Hamilton crime story of all time. Evelyn Dick became famous 75 years ago Tuesday. Do we know anything about what's happened since? And did Evelyn Dick even do the murder that made her famous? Hmm, you may be surprised. And we're going to talk about the Grammy Awards and music shows and music in general because the Grammy Awards happen on the weekend. You will be blown away by the ratings for this show. Why? Stick around and find out. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. In the last day or day and a half, two days, there have been a few business stories that have been rather significant for a bunch of reasons, largely, you know, and, and when I say a bunch of reasons, more often than not, or very often when you hear about big business stories, they don't really necessarily hit home. They don't necessarily have a likelihood to affect you. Well, these ones do. These ones have a very real, I think, possibility of affecting you and your wallet directly. And that makes these rather interesting to a lot of people because they are sitting there now reading or hearing about these and saying, well, does this mean my bills are going up? Well, we're going to try and find out for you tonight. I bring in Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business, our go-to guy when we have these complicated business stories to wade through. Sir, how are you this evening? I'm fine, thanks. I'm just taking off my disco roller skates from that lead-in song. <laughs> That's a throwback. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was from the old days doing the crossovers up at the uh, dis- the roller rink up on Stone Church, right? Absolutely. That's a, I just have to get my spandex trousers loosened <laughs> and I'm ready to go, Scott. Now, you know... Uh, that I would actually like to see you wear to teach a class yeah. one day. Show up yeah, in roller skates. Both. You and me both. <laughs> four-wheel roller skates and spandex and just see the jaws dropping on all the students. That uh, Let me know when you're going to do that. I, I want to be there with a the camera. I will. Uh, okay, we've got three business stories I want to get through in the next sure. few minutes here. And let's start with what I think, well, monetarily wise, is by far the biggest. It's Roger's announcing that it's going to be buying out Shaw for $26 billion. Now, there's still questions about whether this is even going to get through the rules people and the, all that kind of thing. But assuming it does, Marvin, we already in this country hear people nonstop talking about how outlandish our cable bills, how outlandish our cell phone bills in particular are. When you lose a bit of the competition, is this not going to make that worse? Well, it's certainly not going to make it better. Let me look at the glass half full as opposed to half empty. It's not going to make it better. Right now in Canada for telecommunications, we have what is known technically as an oligopoly, meaning we have just four significant players in that market. As such, to try to get some competition, they are highly regulated. So the CRTC has a lot to say about what they do. But the general feeling is, well, gosh, if we could get two, three, four players, maybe somebody from America, maybe somebody from Europe in here, boy, put some pressure on those Canadian firms, our rates will come down. And this merger between, uh, or takeover, whichever we want to look at it, between Shaw and Rogers is going to reduce the number of competitors from four to three. So therefore, I don't think your bills are going to go down. 
Now, Rogers has said as part of the deal to try to encourage Ottawa to approve it, they aren't planning to increase bills for three years, but there's no guarantees after that. Yeah, and why don't we allow? I mean, I know what you just talked about with the regulation, but you know, like you've traveled the world, I've been around the world. You go to places that are countries that are far poorer than our country. I mean, a couple of years ago, we were in Uganda, my wife and I, and the cell phone bills people in Uganda were paying were minuscule. And we're looking, going, wait a second, why are we paying what we're paying when people in these countries can get just as good? Like the, nobody has a home phone. Everybody does everything on their cell phone. Yeah. Why are we not able to get those rates down? Well, and, and I don't like to try to argue the case for these big companies, but their answer would be, we are the second largest country in the world with a relatively tiny population. And so you're not just paying for highly dense urban service or suburban service here in Hamilton. The amount you pay has to also cover the cost so these service providers can deal with northern Ontario or northern Saskatchewan or even into Nunavut, what have you, where you've got a gigantic territory and a very small number of people. And that's kind of by government regulation. We, we say to these companies, you've got to serve the lower populated areas as well as the high populated areas. As a result, we're all kind of subsidizing that. And I guess that if you suddenly were to throw open the, the border and say AT&T or whomever else can come up here, I mean, you're, you're, the argument would be from the companies is that you've now made it, we've got to maintain our facilities and our towers and all the rest, and you've now just taken away any chance we have of making a profit. Well, or, or to say a little differently, that when those American firms or those European firms will come, they'll say, well, no, we don't, we don't want to serve Nunavut, and we don't want to serve northern Saskatchewan. We want to cherry pick, and we'll just go into the highly dense urban markets, which are easy to serve, and we'll pick off those customers with lower prices. And, of course, what happens is if these big firms lose all their uh, easy-to-serve customers and are only left with the harder-to-serve customers, their costs then can't be distributed the same way. And, of course, we're going to say you can't, you can't raise those rates on those poor people in northern Saskatchewan. So I, I'm not saying that's a 100% of the explanation, and is there, is there a little gouging going on? I think so. But this merger, if it's all approved, isn't going to uh, see that change. The new company, the Rogers-Shaw Combined Company, will be the second largest behind Bell, it will take a year. There will be hearings of both the Competition Bureau and the CRTC. And even though they put a couple other sweeteners in the deal, one was this price freeze, another is a billion dollars towards connecting rural communities in the north, and there's a, another one about 5G rollout, $2.5 billion into 5G rollout. Um, I still think what's going to happen is they'll be forced to divest some properties. For instance, between them, Shaw and Rogers own seven TV and radio stations in uh, Toronto, and the rules say the maximum they can have is four. So I think it will get approved, but I think it will get approved with a large number of conditions. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Marvin, we also heard in the last 24, 48 hours that Sobey's parent company is going to be buying Longos. Um, this is into the grocery world thing. Now, I would ask the same thing I just asked about, you know, you suddenly take away a competitor and this does not seem like it has the potential to make anything cheaper in the grocery world. But I think my expectation as an amateur here is that this might be slightly different. And tell me if I'm wrong, the lack of competition in the cellular world is a little different in the grocery world. You potentially, could you not have such now big buying power that sale for the prices could go down a bit for stuff on the shelves, or is that too innocent or naive a belief? 
No, I don't think so. So if you don't mind, Scott, I'm going to give you a two-part answer. The first part, I just want to go back to the last comment you made before the break about not being loved. And why that's not a big deal for the cell phone players is that for all of our complaining, most of us don't switch. So once I'm a competitor, once I've, or excuse me, once I'm a customer, once I've got a cell phone with Bell or Rogers, whoever, I might complain about the bill, but I keep paying it. And so they like buying those customers. They'll complain, but they stay around. Nice, secure money. Now, in terms of the grocery business, uh, there's a couple of sides to this. First, Empire, who's buying it. Uh, I bet most of your listeners don't know all the brands that they have, so there's what we call a parent competition. Oh, I've heard of Sobeys. I've also heard of uh, Farm Boy, but guess what? They're owned by the same people. So there is this economy of buying behind the scenes, but also the brands that themselves, uh, the Metro organization also owns Food Basics, and on some items you'll see a significantly different price, but it's because of the way they position them in the marketplace. I think the big attraction... Uh, for Empire to buy Longos was that Longos are the people behind Grocery Gateway. More than 70,000 people use Grocery Gateway weekly to get products delivered to their homes. And if this online shopping is the way of the future, the new product from Sobeys called Voila, not getting that great of a take-up. So rather than try to grow your own, buy an existing one and merge them. Is there any value... At this point in the grocery world and keeping a name, does does Longos have a name that is worth keeping or would you see it being morphed into Sobeys or does it matter? I'm going to say they will keep it. Yes, Longos itself has a name that is well established. Uh, and Anthony Longo, the current president of the company, it was started by his father and two uncles. Uh, he's going to stay with so, uh, with the Empire Group and is actually going to lead the Longos division. So at this point, the answer seems to be yes. But I can also tell you, over a 20, 30-year time period, I've seen these brands disappear. Eventually, some of them do wear out. Do you remember Dominions once upon a time? Yes, and yes. A&P and Busy Bee. Those used to be big names in groceries that have gone by the wayside over time. All right, let's switch to the other business story. I, I wish we had a lot more time on all these, but, you know, so be it. Um, uh, we heard that Walmart is going to be yep. closing, I think, at six stores in Canada. One of them is in Hamilton. Marvin, Walmart don't close. Walmart's only open. Same with McDonald's, like on Tim Hortons. Uh, you never close a Walmart. These things only that. grow, right? Yeah, you'd think that. But the uh, last year has taught Walmart an interesting lesson. Uh, not all Walmart stayed open over the last year. I know there's lots of people who complained about them, but they were really the Walmart, quote, super centers, those that had food connected with the, the hard goods in the department store. So what they discovered was those Walmarts that are just truly a Walmart on its own with no food operations haven't been that successful over the last year. So the old story is you go bigger, you go home. Where they are going to invest money, I think they're investing in half a million dollars, half a billion dollars, excuse me, to expand some of their footprints and turn some of them into those super centers because now they can operate all the time. But for those where they may be landlocked or there's no ability to grow, they're saying, let's cut our losses, get rid of those because we don't know what the future has. So this isn't so much about them never closing, but the learning they got from the pandemic was the super center is the way to go. If you can't become a super center, then you're not going to be part of the chain anymore. Has the pandemic, I mean, obviously the pandemic has taught lessons, not just for Walmart, for every business, yep. I'm sure. But are these lessons that 
the company should really be paying attention to? And I only ask that because the uh, presumably the pandemic is going to end at some point. Do you think these are lessons that will stick and they should really be paying attention to or waiting until we get back to normal and seeing? Yeah. So, you know, uh, Scott, I, I have a hard, a difficult time answering that question because none of us know what the new normal is going to be on exactly. the other side of the pandemic. We think people now have spent more than a year operating under some kind of version of pandemic conditions and that their behavior has changed for that. I know there are some people who say, I can hardly wait to go back to the way I behaved before, but I've also talked to people who've said, I'm kind of liking this new normal. You know, I, I, I don't have to go shopping. I can let my fingers do the walking through my Internet portal. Now I don't have to drive to the store and fight for traffic and da-da-da-da-da. We just don't know. So uh, uh, what these people are doing, they're all gazing into their own crystal balls, and they're taking a look at the future and saying, well, I think this is the way it's going, and I'm going to vote with my dollars. Walmart may have this wrong. They may regret closing these locations, and they may reverse this decision at some point or open others. But they think, for them anyway, the future is all about super centers. Go big. If you can't go big, close it. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for taking a few minutes tonight. Glad to be with you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Today is an anniversary that you may or may not be aware of. Uh, We don't celebrate it per se in this city. But there are three or four stories in this city that people seem to never tire of talking about. Um, Anything about the mob? LRT, that's one we don't seem to tire of. And Evelyn Dick. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Evelyn Dick. If you're from this area, if you've lived here for any period of time, you are familiar with the story. Well, today is the 75th anniversary of the date that Evelyn Dick became famous. Why? Well, if you still don't know why, we're going to tell you why. Let me bring in Sarah Farr. Sarah is the person behind the Evelyn Dick Files, which you can find online. She is someone who has looked into this story, researched this story, is fascinated by this story, and has kept this story moving forward as much as a story is now 70, a crime story now 75 years old can move forward. Sarah joins me. Sarah, how are you tonight? Hi there, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're thrilled to do this because, as I said, this this is one of those stories that um, you know, it just, for whatever reason, this has the, this captures the imagination of Hamiltonians. And I, I was going to say, I don't exactly know why, but that's not true. I do get why. Cause it's just one of those crazy, bizarre, true crime stories that, you know, yeah. there's no resolution to it really. So we're always exactly. going to be fascinated. It's not solved. So it, it, it hasn't come full circle yet. So people try to make sense out of it. For the four people listening who don't know the story, take 30 seconds or a minute and give the Reader's Digest outline of the Evelyn Dick story and why she is famous around here. Sure. So we're going back to 1946 Hamilton. And um, a woman called Evelyn McLean had recently married a German-Russian man called John Dick and married him in October of 1945. And then six months later, his body was found on our very own escarpment. And not only was he found deceased, but he was found without his head, without his arms, and without his legs. And um, going back and, and 
you know, after they were able to identify him, you know, brother, brothers-in-law from Beansville were able to identify him through some both birthmarks. Um, they went to visit and, and knock on the door of Evelyn at 32 Carrick. And um, they found it was linked to an automobile um, with some blood in the vehicle that she had borrowed. And there were also some ashes which were found put out in the alleyway. And there were some teeth and broken bones, little pieces of bones mixed in. And so it all came down to, um, although she was never actually seen doing anything, um, particularly herself, um, her mother testified that she had, Evelyn had put out these ashes in the alleyway and, and that it was down to her. And Evelyn Dick, um, at the time, Evelyn McLean, Evelyn Dick at the time, I mean, for the time she was a, is it fair to say she was a scandalous woman, or at least she was a woman that people might have raised an eyebrow at with some of her behavior? Well, she was showing up. Um, she was a she was a student at the um, the Canadian Business College, and she was showing up with um, rather lavish costumes and and fur coats and things, and going off to New York and places, um, and, and coming back and, and just seeming to have quite a lot of wealth um, when her father was working at the HSR, and um, she wasn't working herself. So people wondered where, where she was getting money from, and um, she was known to be having some lavish parties at the Royal Connaught Hotel and things of this nature. And, and the rumors, if I'm correct, were that she had a number of boyfriends. This was the rumor, yes. And um, that was what was reported in, in the press at the time, and there really hasn't been anything to kind of give any other side of the story. So that's kind of why I became very interested in it, because I thought, well, she seems like such a character. Mm. And, and of course, coming into the, you know, this era, it's very difficult for me to relate to what it would have been like back then. Absolutely. And- Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we, one of the fascinating things, and, and I would argue probably the thing that has kept this story so alive for people is the fact that, you know, the, yes, there was a murder and yes, there was the head cut off and all the things which were sensational, but it's the fact that Evelyn Dick has just vanished. At a certain mm-hmm. point, she just disappeared and nobody knows whatever happened to her. You've looked into this for a long time now. Do you have any ideas or theories? I mean, we don't know. Otherwise, we would have known by now. Somebody would have told us. But do you have any theories or thoughts of whatever happened to Evelyn Dick? Well, I I think there are people who know, but they aren't legally able to disclose any of that. Um, And I think what's happened in the past is people have got so hung up on finding where she went and, and what happened to her that they 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 got focused on one 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 idea and didn't really explore the fact um, of what why she may have had to go in the first place, and that's really been more my focus is um, instead of trying to figure out where she went is I want to know why because it, it, you know for being uh, she was. Uh, and let's be straight here. I mean, she was convicted of murder at first, but then she was acquitted of that. And then she was convicted of manslaughter in the death of her infant son, Peter David White. But she was never a convicted murderer, per se. 
But what's happened is that, you know, it, we've kind of rolled with the punches and rolled what's been, what's been told before. And so we haven't had another viewpoint. The last book that was written was um, The Torso Murder, the untold story of Evelyn Dick by Brian Lee. And again, and I went to look at his research up in Sault Ste. Marie, and he, again, became very focused on just wanting to find out where she was. And it was also, his book deal was also tied in with the CTV documentary, The Notorious Mrs. Dick, and with um, the, the, the movie with um, Kathleen Robertson. So they were trying to get everything to go together. And he just kept pushing and pushing, trying to find her, but got focused on, on what his idea of what happened was, rather than looking at the, some of the more interesting parts of the story. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. What is what is your belief about whether or not she was the person who did that? Um, I mean, you've got two separate incidents. So you've got the murder of her husband and then the, the murder of the child. Um, murder of her husband, um, absolutely not. I think, I think that, um, she was probably caught up in something much bigger than... Um, even her family's involvement with stealing from the HSR. I mean, what I found so fascinating, fascinating, Scott, is, you know, the fact that I was a fairly, you know, new person to Hamilton. I came here in 2005. And it, it certainly has some interesting aspects of it. So researching this case has really kind of led me to have a better understanding of where these organized crime um, impacts comes from. Um, so definitely there was far more to it than, you know, just Evelyn disposing of her husband because he wasn't in favor. Um, the, the death of the child is certainly more complicated. It, it, it certainly wasn't the only baby being found in a suitcase, you know, and that's something that we, we, we tend to, to forget. Um, her account of what happened with the baby was, you know, she gave it to Bill Bohosek outside the Royal Canort. And unfortunately, her version of that has never been seen or read because it was in the in-camera session in court, which was held in April 1946. And that was also the incident in which she had the famous um, quote of, you know, well, how many men have you slept with? And she had said, you know, well, the judge's son for one. So yes. everything was very hushed up. But what she had said in, in that session... Um, was very succinct and she and everything seemed to line up um with, with her version of events but we never really got to see that so i must say sarah that you are one of the few people that i've talked to about this over the years or read about or anything else who really uh, truly believes that maybe she wasn't it seems as though it's just been the accepted narrative well, that she killed her husband well, that's the thing, but it's because nobody's really gone back and been able to read through the newspaper accounts or actually go to the archives of Ontario. And one of the one of the things that I have been very lucky in getting is that um, I was granted full access under the Freedom of Information um, request that I made to the files there, which meant that I did get access to the voir dire um, and these these files that have been so secretive. For so long, and I'll say, you know, when Brian Lee wrote his book, he was only given access in part, so he didn't get access to the full story 
And um, from what I understand, recent podcasts and things as well, they also didn't get that full access. Mm. And so I'm not sure if I was just lucky with timing or, or what. Well, will that become available at some point? Do the court records at some point, because time has expired, do we get access to all of them? Will we ever learn this for sure? Sure. Sure you will. And that's what part of what I'm doing with the blog is, is I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like give people this information of what she actually said. And so um, it's really important that people just open their minds a little bit to it. understand, for goodness sake, this is Hamilton, why it was so, I mean, she gave a series of um, contradicting statements, which was, which was her downfall at the beginning. Um, but I will say that in the voir dire, when she's questioned, they ask her, nearly every man you have ever gone out with has had intercourse with you. Is that right? And she responds, no, sir. How many men have there been in your life that you've ever had intercourse with? And she says, just a few. And then finally, you have been running around with various men since you have been 15 years old. I beg your pardon, I have not. There's no mention of 150 men. There's no mention of a little black book. So where that came from and did it, you know, did they just mix up 15 years with 150 men? I hmm. don't know. There, it was as recent. Um, well, if, if, if she was alive and she would be a hundred now, more than a hundred years old, I mean, it's yeah. unlikely, it's unlikely yeah. she'll, she's still alive. We would get answers. It was as recent as what, 1985, that there was a pardon application from her. Yeah. Do we, do we know even what part of Canada that pardon, do we know anything about that pardon request and where it might've come from or who might've been behind it or anything? No, but uh, you know, if, if she was granted that pardon, it would have allowed her to leave the country. So there have been, you know, some rumors that she may have gone out of the country, um, which would also make sense. So if she wanted to leave to go to Florida and be a snowbird, for instance, you know, she wouldn't have to answer questions when crossing the border. Um, I mean, I've heard that she's been everywhere. We've heard the Out West theories of Kitchener, Waterloo, London area. Um, and then also, you know, the United States. I've heard them all. And I think realistically, she could have been to a number of these locations um, during her lifetime. You know, from if you're going from, okay, how many apples are we, are we getting in the same basket, you know, and, and looking for matches of, of information, I'm going that she may have ended up in the Kitchener, Waterloo and London area. Mm. It is, uh, someday we will know. I don't know how, but I'm convinced that someday we will find all this stuff out. Now, we all might be dead by then, but you know what? Let hope against hope that that's but, not you know, the case. I think the thing is that the family members, people who are out there need to feel comfortable enough to come forward. They're exactly. really the only people who will have the answers. So I don't somebody has to know. Down. Right, so Sarah? Somebody has to know. Yeah. It is, uh, go, people can go look it up. Um, it's um, evelyndick1946.wordpress.com if you're interested. Yeah, that's uh, the but, blog. And then there's the Evelyn Dick Files group on Facebook which has been rampant today with some fun. <laughs> I'm sure. I am sure. And there's also a great piece in the spec today. Uh, go oh, look it up you. if you're interested in this story. And it is a fascinating story. It's the one that never goes away in Hamilton. Take a look. Uh, Sarah Farr, who's behind it. Thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
let me bring in Eric Alper, who is a music writer. He is a music publicist. He has done everything in the music business. Eric, how are you tonight? I'm good, man. Just finished watching the Grammy since it ended about, oh, you know, about 15 minutes ago. So yeah. probably a three and a half day. Man, it felt like it was forever. Well, it felt like it was forever, except for one thing. And this is the amazing part about this story. We are getting the ratings now for the Grammy Awards. They were decimated. Absolutely a complete and utter bomb, according to the ratings. Dropped 53% viewership from last year. And Eric, like I, I, I can expect, I can anticipate that, you know, times change and these things dwindle down and the numbers go down bit by bit, but to lose half your audience, more than half your audience overnight, do, do people just not care about music anymore? What does this tell us? Well, it seemed like I was the only one watching. Um, <laughs> so thanks for bringing me on. Um, I, I, I think the Grammys had to do something that was nearly impossible that the other award shows had to try to figure out and failed as well. And that is how to assemble a COVID show with a different look and deal with questionable nominations, political concerns with Black Lives Matter and women not being at the forefront of the music industry. But it, I think more importantly for music, an absolute disconnect with the young audience that is the one consuming the music and the nominations and an older viewing audience that has no idea who any of these people are. And that is, I think, why you got those numbers, coupled with the fact that it was a three-hour and 45-minute show, meaning that the last hour with some of the major awards like Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Album of the Year aren't being handed out until 10.30 on a Sunday. And no offense to anybody that put on that show, but they could have easily done this whole thing in an hour and a half. But I get why they 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 don't want to. It's because it's truly one of the, mu- the music industry's biggest ways to get four hours worth of music on the television. Let's go to, there's a bunch of things I want to get into on this one because I find this so fascinating and I think you've actually nailed it right off the bat with one of the big problems here and that is the disconnect that I think that people who are, and I don't want to sweep broad brushes here because there's always exceptions to this rule, but there are a lot of people who are going to be 40 plus, maybe even higher than that, who once upon a time even and not not just them anybody 40 plus or 50 plus would have had some connection to the popular music of the day i don't know that there are too many people who are over 40 who know who dua lipa is i don't even know if i'm saying that right or megan the stallion or you know there is a huge chasmic gap now in the taste in music between generations and and oh, maybe that's yeah. always been but it seems bigger i i think it's gotten it's gotten wonky. You know, you and I have talked in the past about how music is being consumed. And we always like to take a look back and say, well, you know, for me, it was the iPod. That was the moment where everything changed bigger and larger than life because people not only got to take your music with you, but there was no more guilty pleasures anymore. You can listen to whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, however many times you wanted to with ease and not have to flip over the cartridge like in a Walkman. Um, that allowed the a la carte, 
I'm going to just pick and choose the songs I want, forget about spending $40 on a CD or $30 on a CD. When Spotify and music streaming services kicked in, older people tend to be one of the last demographics to actually get involved with new technology. And that means that the younger generation who has grown up with an iPod, with streaming, with computers since day one of their birth, were the ones that were consuming the rap, hip-hop, pop music away from rock. And the older demographic were worrying about mortgages and marriages and having mm. kids and the rest of the stuff that adulthood brings in to separate yourself away from being consumed with entertainment 24 hours a day like we all used to as teenagers. So, yeah, even with somebody as massive as Harry Styles, the former singer of One Direction, who is probably one of the biggest stars on the planet, I bet you 99% of the people on the street in Hamilton won't be able to even A, recognize him, or B, even mention one of his names. I see this all the time. Um, whenever I tweet about Drake, for instance, being you know the number one artist in Billboard history with 231 songs on the Hot 100 in, in his career... People will invariably always write back, I can't name one. And that's the real big disconnect that I think they had. Because the Grammys used to be about, hey, let's get somebody young, mixing with somebody old, singing a song that neither of them wrote. And it turned out that it didn't make anybody happy. Because fans of, say, Lionel Richie wanted to hear Lionel Richie. And fans of, say, Cardi B wanted to hear her sing, not somebody else's song. So that's what the Grammys did. They dug their heels and they said, this is going to be for the younger demographic. And sorry, old people, you're probably going to get upset about Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's, you know, rap song. But your parents were probably really upset that Madonna and Britney Spears kissed on MTV back in 2001. So the circle of life. You know, let me throw out another suggestion of something you said, which I think is it's an interesting idea with the iPod and that kind of thing. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe more, kids would be playing their music in the house and mom and dad would be screaming to turn that music down. But that was the point. Yeah. You played it on a ghetto blaster. So by osmosis, mom and dad heard the music that the kids were playing. They may not have loved it, but you heard it and you became familiar with it. And in some cases you eventually went, yeah, that's not so bad, really. Now, almost all the music that a lot of people would consume are directly into their ears by earbuds. So mom and dad or the older people never hear the stuff that their kids are listening to. So they don't have any idea. They've never heard this before. There's none of that osmosis. There's none of that familiarity. This is brand new. There's something generational that actually happens, I think, to the generation before all of that happened. And I think you're bang on. I think you were so correct in what you just said. It's almost like the kids of the 80s who had parents that didn't understand about Duran Duran and Culture Club and Wham and George Michael and, and you know, MTV and much music and turn that down. They literally have now grown up not knowing a single thing of what their kids are listening to um, in the same kind of pattern. Or you're going the opposite of like you were so terrified by censorship and and all of that stuff and the the parents resource council banning and putting labels on music that you're just letting your kids do whatever they want to do because you know you're not one for rules you want to be the cool parent so there's something about that as well even though that i know that there are are especially moms listening to this that are like well 
when Pink comes into town, I always go and bring my kids. And that's cool. There's certainly a lot of, you know, young mothers taking their 10 and 12 year olds to go see shows, young fathers too. But I think that those are few and far between. I think for the most part, though, there is definitely in the last like five or six years that parents simply cannot wrap their head around what TikTok is. They have, you look at them when you're explaining, well, it's a social media site where people lip sync and they dance, but you only have really 30 seconds to do it. And some people have 100 million followers and they're only 16. You might as well just walk out into the ocean. Like you have no idea how to even comprehend (laughs) all of that. So you end up with people who are like, uh, I'll, I'll keep my eye on the kid, but maybe from afar. Let me throw out another one too. And I think this is s- smaller. I think that one, I think the, the, the fact that you don't hear kids music these days has a big part of this, but there's another one. And we have seen more, I mean, in recent years, everybody, everybody has become political, including celebrities, including musicians. And I, for a long time, I mean, there was always musicians who were political and they're writing Bob Dylan. I mean, going back that far, but there's always been a sense that you can go to music and entertainment as a safe harbor from everyday life and just relax and listen to something because it's just fun. Now, I wonder if people are so fatigued with being preached to by celebrities and musicians and telling them that their views are wrong or they're racist or they're evil or they're this or they're that, that you're just cutting off half the people in the country who don't agree with you, who finally say, I just, I, I'm not giving you the time. I'm not going to spend my time listening to you tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. And also the very fact that nothing really sticks. So you will never have another Marvin Gaye, What's Going On album that changes culture. We're never going to have another Bob Dylan um, literally change the way that music is being written. Um, we're never going to have that because things happen so quick and we're all into the new shiny object the very next day where Twitter has you know, 110 million tweets about the Grammys, but zero after noon the next day, because we're yeah. now we're all on Woody Allen. And now we're all on whatever Donald Trump wants to say or whatever it may be. So we're not as focused all on the same thing as what we used to be, you know, 40, 30, 20, even 10 years ago, because there's so much diversion and communities that you can go to to hear whatever you want to hear. It would have been really interesting had the Grammys chosen to have, say, Ted Nugent or Kid Rock or Scott Baio or somebody that was very much a Republican on the Grammys, because no matter what kind of year it was, there is no way that that would have gone unscathed. So I think you're right. I think people are kind of burnt out by it. Um, New president, new outlook, new everything. But like a couple of artists have said just before the Grammys on that day, like, you know, our work as an artist is not done simply because there's a new president. In fact, we have to keep our eye on what the government and what the police are doing even more so because people expect us to be sleeping. Speaking of politics, um, let me ask you this. And I am not the first one to point this out, although I did not watch the Grammys. I saw a piece, I saw some tweets or whatever on this, and I thought what a lot of... If you would have watched the Grammys, you know, it would have only dropped by a third. Yeah, (laughs) but but I'm not the only one who thought this, but there was a performance on there that I saw a clip of 
that a lot of people have pointed out, wait a second, we just came through a week where we were told Dr. Seuss was not appropriate to be looked at, but you've got people dancing on live TV to a song called WAP, which I'm not allowed to say on the air what the what those letters mean. Let's just say, I think a lot of people would say, wait a second, that's okay, but some of the other things we're told are not okay or not okay. And again, this comes to the political side of, I think people saying, wait a second, this, this is a, this, this, we don't necessarily see the same things that a lot of the people who are performing and singing are seeing here. Yeah. Cause those are easy targets. And, and I think with one specific side of the media angle going after people like Dr. Seuss or Walt Disney, they're easy targets because they don't, they're not living, breathing characters that can't fight back. They're giant corporations who are terrified of getting any kind of devaluation or any loss of business whatsoever. Um, the other side of it are real live human beings who are performing an incredibly sexy song about women empowerment um, around 1045 at night on the East Coast, but about 730 on the West Coast. And that is even concerning me. Um, you know, people that don't have that kind of patience with that kind of stuff have to realize that that show was all about women. Her one for best record of the year, Beyonce became um, the most Grammy awarded female in history. Um, Billie Eilish won for, she won two Grammys, one for uh, the song from a movie that isn't even out yet. The first time that that ever happened, um, Taylor Swift won. It, it was all about women. And with that has to come that not all women are the same. They all have different sensibilities. They all represent different role models and different paragons of nobility and where they stand in life. So you have to have it all. You can't say, well, women are good when they're Taylor Swift and completely unoffending and kind of be really bad because quite frankly, it's not anybody's place to tell anybody else what to do. No, and, and and that's exactly the point is that I uh, what that I'm trying to make, and maybe I'm not doing yeah, yeah, yeah. it well is no, no. that here, when here, they here, are I'll, when I'll, the I'll, when I'll, the artists are preaching and telling yeah. you what you should not be looking at because it's wrong, and then getting up on the stage and do and saying, but we are free to do whatever we want to make our yeah. case or to explore our art. I think people say, wait a second, wait a second, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I and I wonder if it. I, and I know that I'm focusing on the women and the female aspect of, of it, but I, I understand totally what you're saying. If there was anything that was playfully sexual from a male artist, like say from a Mick Jagger or, or even, you know, one of the up and coming rap artists, um, I don't think people would actually put the spotlight on that male artist as much as they are with the female artist. Um, the other thing is that, you know, as much as we kind of want to wrap up that idea in a, in a psychological nice little bow. The fact is though, that these artists are here to shock since Elvis back in the mid 1950s. They have For stylists sure. and managers and publicists to say, if you don't break the borders or break the internet or stretch out what morality is, you will not be written about or talked about tonight. And this whole thing would have been a waste. So as much as we want to say that there's a larger picture in it, sometimes it's just like, we need to perform this song and I need to perform that in that dress because if I don't, nobody's going to talk about me. They're going to talk about the next person. And that's really bad for my career. 
It is. Uh, it's a fascinating situation. Oh, and we never even got into the fact that uh, Eddie Van Halen's son is taking shots at them because his entire tribute was about 15 seconds long, which yeah. again, you know, we talk about styles. It seems as though they have kind of, you mentioned that age groups and stuff, they seem to have completely abandoned the rock genre altogether, yeah. which I think is a mistake, uh, you know, it, but that's me. I, I, I do too. I mean, the Grammys have never treated rock carefully. They never treated it with, I think, the respect that it really, truly deserved. And them giving 15 seconds to Eddie Van Halen was nice, but certainly for a guy that's completely changed the face of the instrument, um, it's a, it's a, it, it was a pretty, it was a pretty low blow for them, I think. It is, uh, as I say, you, you you can discuss among yourselves why the Grammys dropped by 53%, but I think Eric Alper just uh, covered a bunch of them right there. Eric, listen, there always, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this tonight. No problem, man. We'll talk soon. We will. Uh, as I say, 53% drop in viewing. I mean, it is just, it's a stunning thing. And I, I think that if the music industry has some brains, and I think they probably do, um, they're going to start to ask why are people, why did people essentially abandon the idea of watching our show that is supposed to highlight the best of the people in our industry? And I do think there are a number of issues there. I, I really do. And I think it's not a case where someone's going to be able just to say, well, it was Sunday night. So we were up against 90 day fiance. I, I don't think that's going to be the acceptable answer because this, this has been a huge event for, decades and all of a sudden people seem to be saying nope and whether that is note to your politics or note to your music or no we just don't like award shows anymore because it's too long or no to i don't know but 53 percent. think about that 53 percent. half of the audience overnight gone it's amazing radley at 900 chml is my email if you have a good theory on why half the audience would disappear. Love to hear it. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.